How did the iPod save Apple from possible bankruptcy? And how in the world did a fire start at Apple HQ while working on developing it? Well, let me tell you about it. Welcome to Design Dive, the podcast that explores design that's all around us every Wednesday for just 10 to 15 minutes so you can get on with your day. My name is Chris Downs, and whether you're a designer or simply curious about how design impacts our everyday life, you're in the right place. So let's dive in. Today, we're going to talk about Apple's iPod. Now, most of us have had an experience with the iPod, and it truly is one of those nostalgic devices that defined an era of music and has had great implications to how we enjoy music today. But we're going to rewind and talk about how Apple developed and designed the iPod and how it came to be the way it was today and even how it influenced future developments in the technology we experience now. So let's jump back to 1999. Apple was just jumping into the music pool. At the time, things were extremely different for them compared to how they are now. They were solely focused on just the Mac and were barely just trying to escape bankruptcy. Now, they had no experience with handheld devices at the time. So just the thought of developing a handheld music device was unheard of for them at the time. Napster, an illegal music downloading company, became extremely popular at that time where people would download music illegally to MP3 players, burn them on CDs, and it was just a extremely saturated platform that people would get music off of. Millions of users would use it, and it grew exponentially in just three years. Now, around that same time, MP3 players are becoming huge. Both Napster and MP3 players are kind of growing hand in hand. And so Apple decided to start breaking into that music market. They decided to develop their own music platform. So they bought a program called SoundJam MP, a popular MP3 Mac application, and took three of its creators and hired them to work on developing iTunes. Now, iTunes, this first version, allowed you to burn CDs. It had the ability to add music to any MP3 player. But when Apple was testing using MP3 players with iTunes, they really found that these players were terrible. They were clunky. They didn't hold a lot of music. The experience was just not great, and even the music quality was kind of disappointing. So why were MP3 players not that great? Well, like I said, they didn't have a lot of memory at the time. They weren't very intuitive user interfaces. They were difficult to navigate. You had to click uh, back and forth for who knows how long to get to the song that you wanted. And they used slow USB 1.1 standard to transfer files. So to put that in perspective, it took around three to five minutes just to transfer one CD. So 
there was an opportunity there that Apple saw and decided to open that door and go for it. So they decided that this was a good opportunity to introduce users to the Mac. If they could get people to buy into the iPod, then that meant, great, they're going to use Mac to use iTunes, and they're just going to work hand-in-hand. So Apple hired John Rubenstein, Apple's senior vice president of hardware, to handle the project. Now, John wanted two things as a must. He wanted fast transfer speeds and larger memory. That was most important. So he reached out to people outside the company asking questions. And mind you, most of the workers inside of Apple were stuck working on the Mac. So he had to reach out to outside connections. And he was able to connect with a man by the name of Tony Bidell. Now, in 2000, January 2001, he introduced Fidel to kind of a rough generalization of the project that they were working on. He kept it very quiet. Um, Fidel had experience working on some of the best PDAs at the time, if you know what that is. At that time, he had really great knowledge about handheld assistance. So this was just kind of a perfect scenario for him to walk into. Fidel signed a six-month contract, and after signing that contract, Apple then revealed what it was exactly that they were working on for a portable music device. And in his own words, he said, Apple thought they could bring a better MP3 player to the market, and they asked me to do some designs. How could one be built, and what kind of components, how much would it cost, and do all the basic research and design for what was to become the iPod. Now, definitely a huge feat, but he decided to study other competitors working on handheld devices and gained inspiration from them without sharing too much about what was going on with Apple. So he crafted three prototypes from foam core boards, of all things, and pasted graphics onto those little small boards that he had made and filled them with lead fishing weights to give it a sense of what it would weigh once it had the hardware inside. He said in his own words, it was all very, very rough. I only had six weeks and it was only me really doing all the work. Eventually, at the end of that six-month contract, he presented his work to Apple executives and first showed them the two least promising prototypes first and then showed the one that he felt had the most promise and Steve Jobs loved the third one as well as the rest of the executives and wanted to start running with that they also later on offered him a job to continue working on the project with them in that same meeting a man by the name of Phil Schiller Apple's senior vice president of worldwide product marketing Please say that 10 times fast, I swear. That took me so many times to (laughs) practice to say. Uh, But he presented the scroll wheel. Now to us, that's such an iconic design, but really great design is almost invisible to us. We hardly think anything of it. But that scroll wheel, the idea behind it was MP3 players at that time, you had to click through to get to the song that you wanted. So however far the song you wanted meant that was the number of clicks that you had to get through to get there. The scroll wheel meant that a user could scroll and get to 
whatever song that they wanted in a huge list as fast or as slow as they wanted, and it was much more intuitive. And so it was a big win for this project. So we have these great ideas coming together, and now the project is kicked off. It starts gaining traction. The code name for this project was P68. That is as code name-ish as you can get at Apple. But they started this in April 2001. Now, they wanted the product available by December of 2001. So that meant in order to get it ready for the holidays, they needed to design, build, manufacture, and get on the shelves this iPod in just six months. Totally unheard of at the time. The team spent 18 to 20 hours a day, seven days a week working on this device, and it took a toll on them. Many relationships were worn, and it was just a difficult project. The company was barely staying above water as it was, so they had limited resources, and they really couldn't ask a lot of internal folks to help with them. So Tony Fidel, he hired engineers from previous companies he had worked with to come and help. Apple put them in one of the oldest, probably dingiest buildings on its campus, so much so that they were actually later kicked out so that it could be renovated. It was that bad. They were then put into an open floor environment, um, but in that work environment, one of the engineers actually accidentally put a screwdriver through a lithium polymer battery. Uh, If you know anything about that battery... You don't want to puncture that because it actually resulted in an explosion that started a fire. That fire started a serious investigation with police and Apple's legal department, and it was a big mess and eventually got resolved. So we're getting close to the deadline here. They decided to outsource some of the iPod's components to be built and speed up the process as fast as possible. They just didn't have the time to work on everything in-house. They also chose earbuds to be the headphone of choice instead of the traditional headphones because they felt like it was more portable. They also didn't have time to build and develop a custom operating system because they've outsourced for chips. They didn't have time to develop and debug uh, a custom operating system so it went to another company now in the end the device was just the size of a deck of cards it was white on the front and stainless steel on the back and an iconic design that looked extremely different from all the other devices on the market at the time there was no removable battery no on off switch and no screws completely different from other devices. Now, Apple didn't know how to market a device like this. Again, they only had experience with the Mac, and this was a totally new market for them. So they hired experts outside the company, and one of those experts was named Vinny Chico, a freelance copywriter, and it was him that actually came up with the name iPod. Chico said that he had imagined the small device like a spaceship or a pod and it relied on the parent ship the mac for its main source of information so kind of a weird odd way to come around to a name like that but ipod steve jobs loved the name and it stuck and it's an iconic name to this day 
When the iPod launched in 2001, it had five gigabytes of memory. It had the capacity to hold a a thousand songs, which compared to other devices, that was a lot. And it sold for $399. Now, if you compare the release of the 2019 iPod Touch compared to this device and adjust it for inflation, to put it in perspective, that 2019 model, this 2001 iPod would have been three to $400 more roughly. So it was much more expensive than anything else on the shelves at that time. But since the sale of that 2001 iPod, there were 400 million units sold. It was a huge success and rapidly grew year over year. Now, the iPod saved Apple, and it put them back on track to becoming one of the most valuable companies in the world. The iPod was very easy to use, but at the time, it only could be compatible with the Mac. Eventually, Apple released iTunes to Windows, opening the customer base even more to users of the iPod. But as we know, the iPod doesn't exist today. We can't buy it. Why? The iPhone. The iPhone eventually is what killed that product. And now we use to listen to music today. But if we look back at the iPod, we have so much to thank for how we stream music today and how we consume that type of media. It truly laid the foundation and pushed other companies to innovate and think of the user first. That design changed over time, and it's still changing today. But it had to start somewhere. It started by first thinking of the user, figuring out a problem that needed to be solved, and finding a solution for it. And that's our dive. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the channel leave a rating or a review, and share this podcast with others. But until next time, keep learning, stay inspired, and remember, design is all around us. See you.